Choir, David, thank you. Musicians, thank you very much. That was a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. Um, I know that it isn't the same with everyone, but uh, when you started with the acapella part, I thought, wow, that's terrific. Thank you for that. That's added work for the choir. Thank you. Thank you, David. We have for some time been praying for Penny Brooks. Uh, Penny is a remarkable lady. Um, she makes up her mind to do something, and that's just about the way it's going to be. Well, she'd been in a hospital for a while, and you know how it is when you begin to get better, you think about getting out of here. Well, it's the story was told to me this past week. Um, she was ready to go home. And the medical staff had determined uh, a discharge date for her. Well, it was too long to suit Penny. And so she just began telling everybody she's leaving two days before that. And guess what? Two days before, Penny left the hospital. Uh, and uh, we continue to pray for her. She's a sweet lady. Uh, Max, her son, is here this morning. And uh, it is a pleasure always to see these young men. She has two sons. Uh, one is in Charlotte over in school, and the other is representing uh, our country and the United States Marine Corps. So we thank God for that family and uh, that Penny is uh, on the road to recovery. And even if she's not, nobody's going to catch her. Take your Bible and turn with me, please, to the book of Jeremiah. Several months ago, perhaps like some of you, I was frankly a bit discouraged about the course and the attitudes being displayed in our country. And um, the Lord brought Jeremiah the prophet to mind. And I began to read in Jeremiah. Um, and I focused particularly on the first 15, 20 chapters. And the outcome of that was two messages from the book of Jeremiah with the prophet Jeremiah as the focal point. <clears throat> I believe that there are parallels between the nation Israel in Jeremiah's day and our day today. And I think they are crystal clear. I hope that you have your Bible with you. If you don't, please use a pew Bible. I'm going to look at uh, five or six things that I believe were obviously characteristics of Jeremiah's day, and I believe that you can see those very same characteristics in our day. And it is a concern to all of us, I think. So if you have your Bible, open with me, please, to... I'm, I'm going to start, and, and there are going to be a number of references. I hope you will stay with me and look at these, because I, I want you to see what the Bible has to say. I'm not making this up, folks. Here's the thing. Israel had fallen to such a state, uh, it, it's just inconceivable almost to me. The people of God, with the love of God, with the covenants of God, with the protection of God, 
all that God did for the people of Israel, and they fell in Jeremiah's days to such a low estate. And then I think back over the history of our country, and we've come a long way, in one man's opinion, in the wrong direction. And I see parallels. And my hope in bringing these two messages one week before last, we had a great preacher last week. He's still sitting right, well, no, he's not still. He, he did go home through the week. <laughs> <laughs> Preston, <laughs> our, our young people had the service last week. And, and by the way, young folks, it was terrific. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm still looking for the music that they did in that skit. Uh, I kind of like that. <laughs> <I did too. laughs> okay. <clears throat> there are several passages, and again, I would invite you to, to look with me as we, we come to these. Before we look into the Word of God, would you pray with me, please? Our Father, apart from the ministry of the Spirit of God, our time here would be useless, void of any real accomplishment. We have before us the inerrant Word of God. It stands. It is true, no matter what other books have been or will be written, or whether there are opinions expressed to the contrary. This is your Word. It is without error. I pray, our Father, that the Spirit of God would be our teacher, taking the things of the Word of God and making them clear and real in our hearts and in our lives. And then with James of old and the statements in the book of James, help us, Lord, be doers of the Word of God and not just hearers only. Not as those who would look in a mirror and walk away and do nothing, but to open the Word of God and open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears, and allow God the Holy Spirit to speak to us through the Word of God. We ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Judgment like a mighty flood was moving toward the nation Israel. One of the saddest things about it, it seems to me, is that the judgment that was coming to the nation Israel was self-inflicted. Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, and we read these two weeks ago. I'll read them again as we begin this morning. Jeremiah chapter 5, <clears throat> verses 22 and 23. Verse 22, Do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Obvious answer to that question was no, Israel didn't fear the Lord. Do you not tremble in my presence? Again, no. The fear of the Lord. The psalmist says, and it's true in our day as well, there's no fear of God before the eyes of men today. Men today run pell-mell doing whatever they choose to do, and there's no fear of God that ever comes into their minds. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 22, For have I placed the sand as a boundary to the sea, an eternal decree so that it cannot cross over? Though the waves toss, and yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot pass over it. Now, would you notice verse 23? But... After the boundaries by the sea. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. 
And just the first part of verse 24, they do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God. Those were the days in which the prophet Jeremiah lived. And God put his hand on this man and called him out to minister to Israel. And I believe for such a day as God called Jeremiah, God today for such a day as this is calling the church out. And by that, I mean, this is my understanding, all right? My understanding is God would say to his church, get off of your buns and get busy. There's a world that is dying without Christ. There's a world that is going to hell. And for the church to sit idly by and just think, oh my, well, I can't do anything about this or I can't do anything about that is nonsense. Now, Jeremiah, I'm sure, thought the same thing. I can't do anything about this. But God called him to do it and God equipped him to do it. God gave him, first of all, we looked at it the other week, uh, God gave him a mandate. God called him. God prepared him. God empowered him. God took care of him in spite of the fact that part of his ministry was spent in prison. God took care of this man, and God had a calling for him. And I believe God has a calling for his church today. We are not just simply to sit idly by and wait till Jesus comes. Jeremiah preached, and church, we need not look for great successes. Jeremiah preached 42 years under five different kings. He preached, and he preached, and he pled, and he pled, and his words fell on deaf ears. And as I said a while ago, there came a day when the prophet of God was put in prison because he was telling the truth. Jeremiah never shaded anything. He spoke the truth to his society and to his generation. It got him put in jail, but he spoke the truth. He spoke God's message, and that's what I'm going to look at this morning, God's message, through this man, Jeremiah. It was a direct message. Um, Part of me wants to apologize for asking you to look at so many different passages of Scripture this morning. But folks, this is the Word of God, and this is church. What are we supposed to be doing here? Reading the funny papers? you got a Bible. If you've trusted Jesus, you have the Spirit of God residing within you who will teach you His Word. Take your Bible, and let's look at it. That's what this is about. Jeremiah 14, verse 7, to start with. And basically, my passages that I'll, have you to look, or I'll ask you to look at this morning are in the first 15 chapters. 14.7, Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 7. And I'm wanting to demonstrate to you now, his message was a direct message. No hedging, no molly-coddling. God gave him a mandate, God gave him a message, and Jeremiah was faithful to his message. 14.7, although our iniquities testify against us. This is a prophet speaking about his country. O Lord, act for thy name's sake. Uh, let me interrupt this just, just a moment. Um, what Jeremiah wanted was for the glory of God. 
Did you see that? He says, act, O Lord, for thy name's sake. He was concerned about the name of God. Truly our apostasies have been many. We have sinned against thee. And you know that verse of Scripture. I won't even ask you to turn there. Just a few chapters over, though, in in, in chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. And dear people, that hasn't changed in our century. And to think about it, you know, I, if, if I had asked and didn't know 14.7 of Jeremiah, I might have said the mind is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. But God says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Where does man's foolishness, if, if you'll let me uh, dumb it down a little bit and say that, where does man's foolishness comes from? It comes from his heart. That's what the Bible says. Jeremiah said to his generation, we have sinned, we have acted wickedly. And he was very specific, and he didn't leave anything to the imagination. And there are six particular things I want to mention to you right now that Jeremiah saw, that he spoke to in his day. I personally believe you can see them in our day. Number one, he spoke about idolatry and false religion. Chapter 3, verse 9. And I want to use two other passages uh, to support this particular point. First, he spoke about idolatry and false religion. Chapter 3, verse 9. And it came about because of the likeness of her harlotry. The harlotry was uh, nothing to be considered, really. Nobody thought anything about it. The likeness of her harlotry that she polluted the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. That is spiritual and physical adultery. It is axiomatic. Where there is idolatry, immorality will soon be present. It just happens like that. One expositor made the comment that immorality follows idolatry like Mary's little lamb. And that's what was happening. Chapter 5, verse 7. Chapter 5, verse 7. And a very penetrating question opens that verse. Why should I pardon you? And then look what God says in verse 7. Your sons have forsaken me and sworn by those who are not gods. When I had fed them to the full, they committed adultery, and they trooped to the harlot's house. And then look how it's described in the next verse. They were well-fed, lusty horses, each one neighing after his neighbor's wife. And then in this one area of idolatry and false religion, one other verse I would have you look at. That's in chapter 19 and verse 4. Chapter 19 and verse 4. Because they have forsaken me. See, at every turn, Jeremiah says, we have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord. We will not listen. We have not gone back. Verse 4, because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place and have burned sacrifices in it to other gods, neither they nor their forefathers nor the kings of Judah had ever known. Now, would you look at the last part of this verse? Because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. 
You know what that's talking about? They were offering children for sacrifice. The God-chosen nation from Abraham on down. And this is the day they had come to in Jeremiah's time. Slaughter of innocent children. Jeremiah sums it all up. If you go back to chapter 2 for a moment, please. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Jeremiah 2, 12 and 13. Be appalled, O heavens. Jeremiah calls on, on the heavens even, looking down on this, uh, the activities of this nation. Be appalled, O nations, he says. And shudder, be very desolate, declares the Lord. Why? For my people have committed two evils. Know what he, he, he boils these down here. Two evils, he says. One, they have forsaken me. And is there a greater evil than forsaking God? They have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters, they've turned aside from him. What did they do? What did the nation do? They hew out for themselves cisterns. But then would you notice the next phrase? They are broken cisterns. They cannot hold water. The nation and people in every generation, not just that generation, in every generation, when people turn from God, they carve out something else. They hew out something else. And God says from the get-go, it's broken. It won't serve the purpose for which it's been created. Whether it's a broken jug for water, whether it's an idol. It won't serve the purpose for which it has been created by those who worship that. Why? It couldn't because to start with, they forsook God. Jeremiah put his finger on idolatry and on false religion. Do you think we see any of that today? The second thing he deals with is false leadership. Chapter 5 and verse 13. Chapter 5 and verse 13, just the first part of the verse. 5.13, and the prophets are as wind. Now, the statement in verse 13 has to do with the genuine prophets in Israel at that time. And the people in Israel at that time considered the prophets of their day, the genuine God-called prophets of their day. They called them windbags. That's what this is saying. The prophets, the God-installed, the God-called prophets of that day, the people called them windbags. On then chapter 5, verses 30 and 31. And appalling, this is verse 30, chapter 5. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. That is, the prophets that they had put in place, the prophets that that nation in its degradation put in place. He's not talking there about the, the true prophets that we just saw in 13, verse 13. But the, the prophets that this degraded nation at that time put in, says the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests rule on their own authority now as i read that verse time after time after time the thing that astonished me that i couldn't get away from that i kept coming back to was the next phrase and the people love it so they didn't want to be told the truth 
Does that sound familiar? The people didn't want to be told the truth. They love it so. And then the question, but what will you do at the end of it? False leadership. And the people wanted it that way. Third thing Jeremiah spoke about, very direct. You, you've got to say that for Jeremiah. God called him and gave him a direct message to speak to the people. Third thing is the perversion of marriage. Chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1. God says, if a husband divorces his wife and she goes from him and belongs to another man, will he still return to her? Will not that land be completely polluted? Because the answer to the question there is no, he won't return to her. And as a result, the land will be completely polluted. And you are a harlot with many lovers. And yet you return to me, declares the Lord. Better that last phrase. Uh, and if you have a study Bible, it's most helpful in, in verse 1. The last phrase in verse 1 in my Bible, I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard. It says, uh, yet you return to me, declares the Lord. Uh, you turn to me better would be, would you return to me? It's a question. It's a question. Would you return to me? Perversion of marriage. Dissolution of families. Fourth, a general wickedness in the land. A general wickedness in the land. He's dealt with some specifics, but he takes a step back. General wickedness. Chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. 324. <clears throat> but a shameful thing has consumed the labor of our fathers since our youth, their flocks, their herds, their sons, and their daughters. Shameful things going on with all of those areas. And Jeremiah says in verse 25, Let us lie down in shame. The nation had come to shame. And let our humiliation cover us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers, since our youth, even to this day, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. General wickedness. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, the next thing in his list. 5, 1, and 2. These verses speak about lying and deceit. Chapter 5, verse 1. Roam to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. And look now and take note and seek in her open squares if you can find a man, if you can find one who does justice and who seeks truth, then I will pardon her. Do you know what God's saying there? If you can find one person... Look at it, verse 1. If you can find one person who does justice and seeks the truth, I will pardon her. But he couldn't. He couldn't. Couldn't help but remember, and I'm certainly not a scholar in Greek philosophy. There's no question about that. But maybe some of you would remember the story of Diogenes, the Greek philosopher. He walked through the streets of Athens on one occasion with a lantern. And when asked what he was doing, he said he was looking for one honest man. And he didn't find one. Does that sound like today? 
finally, number six in this list, it was a day of broken promises. Nobody kept their promises. Chapter 11, verse 8. Chapter 11, actually verses 8 through 10. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked each one in the stubbornness of his own evil heart. And therefore I brought on them all the words of this covenant, which I commanded them to do, but they did not. And then the Lord said to me, a conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their ancestors who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel, the house of Judah, have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Broken promises. What was Jeremiah's day like? A day of wickedness, a day of unfaithfulness, a day of messed up families, to say the least. Spiritual, physical, adultery, rotten leadership. It's the only word I can think for it. Rotten leadership. Corrupted priests and corrupted prophets. All right. Now, those six things highlight the condition of the nation in Jeremiah's day. What did God think of that? How would God portray that? How would God speak in a, in a visible way before just bring the Babylonian judgment? How would Babylonian captivity, this, how would God portray this and his feelings about this to the nation? Well, this is interesting. Um, through Jeremiah, God gave to the nation Israel an illustrated message. You know, today every church thinks they got the corner on overhead projectors and all that kind of thing. They're so far behind. <laughs> Turn with me to Jeremiah 13. Here's God's illustrated message based on all that I've shared with you. And let me just read through this and, and make some comments as I go. Chapter 13, verse 1. Jeremiah 13, verse 1. The Lord said to me, he's talking to Jeremiah now, go and buy yourself a linen waistband and put it around your waist, waist and do not put it in water. You know, it's a great thing in our day, isn't it? Washing wear. God's instruction was to, to Jeremiah was wear and don't wash. Verse 11 explains this a bit further. I want to go to verse 11, then I'm going to come back to the first part of the chapter. Look at verse 11 with me. Here's the key to what we're, what we're seeing here. Verse 11, for as the waistband, he's told Jeremiah to get one, put it on. Don't put any water on it. The waistband, as the waistband clings to the waist of a man, now look, so I made the whole household of Israel and the whole household of Judah cling to me, declares the Lord. Why? God wanted them, he says, that they might be for me a people for renown, for praise, for glory. But then he says they did not listen. The garment 
that's mentioned in verse 1 and through the rest of the chapter represents the nation. Okay? That's what God says right here. As the waistband clings to the waist of the man, so I made the household of Israel cling to me. Well, now that's, that's interesting. We can understand that. Go back to chapter 13, verses 2 and following. 13, 2. Jeremiah says, So I bought the waistband in accordance with the word of the Lord and put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, Take the waistband that you have bought, which is around your waist, and arise and go to the Euphrates and hide it there in the crevice of the rock. Remember now, Jeremiah is wearing this thing, has been wearing it for a long time. Hadn't been washed. And then he's given instructions to... uh, Go back to the Euphrates uh, and retrieve this garment. Notice it's, uh, let me read verse 6. It came about many days that the Lord said, Arise and go to the Euphrates and take it. Take from there the waistband which I commanded you to hide there. All right. Take the waistband. I'm sure Jeremiah wanted to get rid of that thing by that time. I mean, a trip of 250 miles. Uh, without washing your garments, uh, walking, uh, well, you figure it out. Not enough tide in the world to take care of that. 13.7. Then I went to the Euphrates and dug, and I took the waistband from the place where I had hidden it. (laughs) And if there's ever an understatement in, in the Word of God, this is it. And the waistband was ruined. I don't know how old this thing was, but he'd worn it for a long time, worn it on a long trip, and then hidden it in the crevice of a rock, and it stayed there. Just imagine for a minute what the thing must have, well, shall we say, looked and was odoriferous, (laughs) to say it was totally worthless. Verses 9 and 10, thus says the Lord, just so, just like this useless, marred, gross waistband. Thus says the Lord, verse 9, just so, like this, I will destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in their stubbornness of service from the hearts, have gone after other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. Let them be just like the waistband that is totally worthless. I wish my vocabulary were tons better than it is. The only thing I can think of to say is, wow. I'm going to make the pride of Israel, Jerusalem, Judah, just like this filthy waistband. Dear friends, I don't know about you, but I would call that pretty straightforward preaching. Jeremiah didn't stutter when he said it. We dare not kid the society in which we live. May I say that again? When we open the Word of God, we dare not kid the society in which we live. Plow a straight road, tell them the truth. But I want to say as quickly as I can after that, we have to proclaim the truth with love with grace don't be a Pharisee God help us proclaim the truth tell the truth don't sugarcoat it just tell the truth 
but do it with love and grace. I don't really think Jeremiah was walking down the road preaching all this stuff saying, whoopee. I know he wasn't, and I'll show you why in just a moment. Here's the message that I want us to hold on to. Grace. Hear me. Grace always precedes judgment in God's economy. You cannot open the Bible and show me at a time at all when there was summary judgment, bang, and no time to repent, no time for grace. That's not the God of the Bible. Grace always precedes judgment, and it should when we deal with the world that we're living in today as well. Grace should precede judgment. Well, very quickly, uh, God gave to Jeremiah a mandate. God gave to Jeremiah a message. And finally, God gave to Jeremiah a mourning. M-O-U-R-I-N-G. A mourning. Jeremiah wasn't angry with his people. As I said a moment ago, he wasn't joyful and happy and whoopy delivering this message. He loved his people. And he mourned for them. Chapter 13, verse 7. Excuse me, 17. 13, 17. My point is that he mourned for his people. We read in 13, 17. But if you will not listen to me, my soul will sob in secret for such pride. My eyes will bitterly weep and flow down with tears. Because the flock of the Lord has been taken captive. A deep mourning for his people. Go back to chapter 8 with me. I want you to see a few more of these matters with respect to his mourning. Chapter 8, verse 18. Put yourself in this man's shoes for a moment or two. He delivered a scorching message. There's no question about that. Basically, he was saying, Babylonian captivity is coming. That's judgment, and it's coming. And you haven't repented. But there was a care. There was concern for that. He wasn't just angry with them. My soul will sob in secret. My eyes will bitterly weep and flow down with tears. But back to chapter 8 again for just a moment, please. Chapter 8, verse 18. He says further, My sorrow is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. Drop down verse 20. Harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the brokenness of my daughter... For the daughter of my people, I am broken. He looked, he says, Israel is broken. I am broken. I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of my daughter and my people been restored? Chapter 9, verse 1. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. We have a message to declare to our societies 
I believe, I honestly believe with all that's in me. Just as much as God called Jeremiah to his generation, God is calling his church to this generation. We carry the message, but we carry it with a deep mourning. The old hymn, Rescue the Perishing. People are dying. And going out into eternity without Jesus. I don't know how else to say this, but do we care? I and my house are going to heaven, and the rest of you, the devil take you. I've run across that attitude. Do we care? You know, it may sound like some of the things I've said, this, in some of the things I've said this morning, that, that uh, I'm in despair. I'm not, because I believe there's hope. And one reason I believe there's hope is that every day I believe there is a remnant of people coming to Jesus. There's been a remnant in every age. And I believe there's a remnant today that are coming to faith in Jesus. Today, God is calling out a people for his name's sake. And so, I say, there's hope. But we've got to get off, pardon, we've got to get off our backside and get busy. I appreciate Tom and what he said this morning about children in this educational section. And he's 100% absolutely correct. Hope that we can fill that building up with precious kids. But listen. Listen, child of God. We can't just sit back and say, well, it's nice and we're going to just reach out for children. Children are easy. Children don't know all the answers that their moms and dads know. And children can't respond to you unkindly. Their mom and dad can. So we just ignore mom and dad, right? We ought to fill this up with kids. And my experience has been if you get the kids, you get to mom and daddy. And we need to speak to mom and daddy because it's mom and daddy going to teach those kids in addition to our Sunday school teachers. There's hope. For a responding heart, there's an answer. For a responding spirit, there is salvation. And for one who listens, judgment is averted. I point you this morning as best I can to Jesus Christ who died as the atoning sacrifice for sin and I urge you to trust him today and then after trusting Jesus as your savior do your best by the grace of God to live a life pleasing to him Pray with me. <clears throat> Father, we have been exposed to your word this morning, and I do earnestly pray that the Spirit of God has been my teacher, as well as all who are within this room and in the overflow room. You have called us just the same way you wanted Israel to speak to the surrounding nations. You want us to speak to those who are without Christ. It may mean persecution, but give to us a deep, abiding, unaltering compassion 
and a sense of mourning. Because we who know the Word of God know if they go out into a crisis eternity what their future is. And we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. That's the only remedy. He's the only remedy for sin. Lord, some of us need backbone. Grit, if we call it such. Just the courage of our faith to say, this is who Jesus is according to the Bible. This is what right living looks like on the pages of Scripture. And then simply say lovingly, I stand for that. And I invite you to come and trust Jesus. Help us, Lord. Stir us from our lethargy, from just plain out and out, not caring enough to do the job. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake, for his glory. Amen. Our hymn is number 293, Rise Up, O Church of God. Have done with lesser things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. 293. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, I urge you, put your faith and trust in Him this morning. Listen, He died for you, okay? Jesus... God's Son came to this earth, lived 30 plus years, and went to a cross. He volunteered to do that. He could have, do you realize, you ever think about it? He could have come down from, from that cross in a heartbeat. He didn't ever have to go to it. He loved me and you and was obedient to his Father and went to the cross and died as our substitute. Somebody died for me. Somebody died for you. You don't know anybody that loves you any more than that. Why don't you trust him today? Sin's forgiven. Home in heaven. That's for sure. It's not maybe. I have never found a maybe written before one of the promises of God in the Bible. Never. And I don't ever expect to. It's a fact. It's a fact. Believe it. Believe him. If I can help you in any way, I'll meet you here at the front of the church. 293. Would you stand with me, please? That's a good word for us. Rise up, O church of God. Joey Best is our deacon of the day. Joey, if you will come and lead us in prayer, and after he prays, we'll sing, God be with you until we meet again. Before you leave today, would you shake hands with somebody and just Tell them it's good to see you in the Lord's house today. Somebody needs a handshake from you and a word of encouragement. I don't know who that is, but the Lord does. And if he prompts you when you walk, walk by somebody is say, it's good to see you. God bless you, young man. God bless you. Be an encouragement to somebody today won't take but a minute and about two short breaths that's easy joey pray for us would you please and then we'll sing let's pray heavenly father god we thank you for this opportunity to come together as a body of believers and worship in your name what a privilege we have uh, to be able to do that god lord we lift up our mission of the week camino global and fran and judy schmidt 
uh, in Guatemala, Lord, for the purpose of starting churches and ministering to those in the Spanish-speaking world. Um, Lord, we just thank you for, for their ministry, Lord. Lord, we're reminded today of how important it is that there be a place for believers to come and worship, Lord. Lord, and I lift up Wake Chapel Church to you today in the coming days and weeks and months, Lord, um, as we grow, as, a, as our buildings grow, God, and the changes that, that are upon us, God. I thank you for our past, and I pray for our future. Lord, I pray that you will bind us together in the one belief and the one mission that you have given us, God, to bring those wishing to know God together, Lord. I just pray that you bind this congregation in, in that mission, Heavenly Father. I thank you for what you've done here today, God. You have truly been in this place, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that you will bless each and every one of us as we go away from this place. Keep us safe and allow us to come back here soon, God. Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you've given the people of this congregation and the ministry that, that belongs here, God. And Lord, I thank you again, and we praise your name, and we thank you through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.